medicine today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome two special guests to this podcast. First of all, let me introduce Dr. Stephen Badalak. Dr. Badalak is not a stranger to regenerative medicine today. Dr. Badalak was with us on podcast number three back in 2006, also podcast number 29 in 2007. Dr. Badalak is a professor of surgery. And he's also a deputy director of the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine. Dr. Badalak, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you, John. It's nice to be back. The second special guest is Dr. Blair Job. Dr. Job is an associate professor of surgery in the heart, lung, and esophageal surgery institute at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Dr. Job, it's a pleasure to have you in Regenerative Medicine today as well. Thank you very much. So the topic of this discussion relates to esophageal cancer and some very innovative therapies that have emerged as a result of some science developed by Dr. Badalak and some very innovative clinical procedures developed by Dr. Job. Dr. Job, perhaps the place to start is, can you just give us some insight into the prevalence of esophageal cancer? Yeah, so esophageal cancer, the incidence of it is increasing faster than any other cancer in the United States and in Western Europe. However, it's a still relatively rare type of cancer. The problem with it is that it tends to occur very late because the esophagus is a distensible organ, and it's not until the patient has a napkin ring, so to speak, around the end of the esophagus that they present with difficulty swallowing and then the diagnosis is made. So we really need to improve our ability to stage these patients and detect this cancer at an earlier stage, which is where the procedure that we've developed and the need for a regenerative medicine application has really worked synergistically at the McGowan. So what's the normal procedure to treat a patient with esophageal cancer? It's really been a one-hammer for every nail approach for the last 50 to 70 years, which has included the removal of the esophagus with or without chemotherapy and radiation. So that involves essentially the removal of the top part of the stomach where the esophagus meets and then the majority of the stomach, and that all comes out as one piece. So I seem to recall from reading that, uh, first of all, this is a very invasive procedure, and secondly, that the success rate is less than ideal with that procedure. Is that a correct presumption? Yeah, so of all cancer patients that present, the five-year survival, that is the number of patients that are still alive after five years after treatment, is about 15%. So we clearly have a lot of work to do. In terms of the procedural-related morbidity, morbidity is about 40%. And although some very innovative procedures have been developed here at the University of Pittsburgh using laparoscopic and thoracoscopic, laparoscopic and thoracoscopic approaches are small incisions but big surgery underneath the skin, the entire esophagus and stomach could be removed. It's still associated with about a 40% morbidity. With innovations in intensive care and post-operative care, the mortality rates are around 5% or less with this operation. So that certainly provides some opportunity for improvement. Now, I understand that you use some tissue engineering technologies. You might ask Dr. Badalak just to briefly review the ECM technologies that he's developed and adapted for you to pick up from a clinical perspective. Dr. Badalak, could you give us an overview, please? Well, sure, John. ECM stands for extracellular matrix, and we've had some pretty nice success over the past 8 to 10 years developing mammalian extracellular matrix or ECM 
for use as a biologic scaffold that can change the way a patient heals or responds to injury, or in the case of esophageal surgery, responds to the injury of the surgical procedure. And by that, I mean the use of this matrix material when placed at a site of injury or at a site where a piece of tissue or an organ is missing, it facilitates a response in the recipient and the patient that involves a recruitment of stem cells to the site, a remodeling of the matrix, and the formation of a site-appropriate type of a tissue. To be a little bit more clear on that, a couple of examples might be in order. By the way, these scaffolds are usually derived from a different species, like a pig. I take pig tissue, get rid of all of the cells, and one is left with the extracellular matrix, which is not rejected by the recipient. If the cells were still there, it would be, but the extracellular matrix alone is not rejected, and in fact, describing facilitates a constructive response. So, back to my examples. If one takes a biologic scaffold made of ECM and places it in the location of, for example, an Achilles tendon, and allows certain a normal rehabilitation to occur, that material will enhance the formation of a new Achilles tendon. If you took the same material and you replaced a portion of the urinary bladder, the tissue that would form would be appropriate for what a bladder looks like. So the same material tends to form a site-appropriate type of a tissue. And during the course of studies over the past 10 and 15 years, we noticed that one of the key features of the remodeling process was the lack of scar tissue. And since scarring, and as Dr. Job is describing as a napkin ring, scarring causes a stricture in the esophagus. This happens very readily with manipulation of the esophagus. We began investigating the potential of the use of such a scaffold to inhibit or minimize the amount of scar tissue that would form when a surgeon such as Dr. Job would go into the esophagus and manipulate it. And by that, I mean try to excise a small area of cancer that right now can't be excised because of this threat or risk of stricture. And we saw some very good results in our early studies where in, in some of the models we were using, we were able to take out actually segments of the entire circumference of the esophagus and got a remodeling so that the tissue looked like close to a normal esophagus again. When we were encouraged by these results, and Dr. Job came to the University of Pittsburgh, uh, what is it now, Blair, about three years ago, we started talking and working together, and Blair's been just terrific about taking what we learned in our basic science and preclinical studies to the clinic. This sounds very exciting. So, Dr. Job, perhaps you could give us an overview of this new procedure, which I understand is a minimally invasive procedure? Yeah, so the prerequisite for this operation is early cancer or a premalignant condition called high-grade dysplasia. Currently, high-grade dysplasia and early malignancy is all treated the same, that is with esophagectomy, as I described earlier. But there's clearly a need, and there has been a need for many years, to remove the inner lining of the esophagus. You know, the esophagus is much like an onion with multiple layers, concentric layers or tubes, which are placed one within the other. And if you have an early-stage cancer, you could, in theory, unroll or peel out the inner layer, leaving just the muscular layer. And that's where Dr. Badalak's extracellular matrix comes into play. So the procedure that we conceptualized was a removal of the entire inner lining of the esophagus, leaving just the outer muscular tube with all of its lymph nodes and innervations so it could still squeeze and strip normally when someone swallows, and then just line it with a tube of extracellular matrix with the hopes of normal healing and the prevention of stricture. 
And that is part of the reason, you know, I described this one hammer for every nail approach. And the thing that has been limiting a tailored approach based on disease stage has been stricture formation. And it wasn't until I came to the University of Pittsburgh, actually during my interview process, met Dr. Badalak, and it was one of the big reasons I came here, was to get to know Steve and to pick up and get involved in the work that he had been pioneering. And so we developed a procedure to go with the ECM, and it appears to be working nicely. So this sounds like a wonderful partnership in terms of quality scientific study coupled with a very innovative and quality clinical procedure. So my congratulations to both of you for what you've accomplished. Dr. Job, you've used this procedure on a number of patients now, if I understand correctly? Well, we've done three, and they're the first three that have ever been done. The third was done this Friday, and they've gone well so far. So what's the recovery time from a procedure like this? Well, the first two patients were not surgical candidates. In other words, they could not have undergone an esophagectomy, so they were either facing chemotherapy or just letting the cancer progress. So these were ideal patients for Dr. Badalak's extracellular matrix. So those two patients were out of the hospital within three days and were back to work within a week. That's incredible because with an esophagectomy, I presume that the recovery time would be significantly longer. Yeah, with esophagectomy, you know, it's, it's usually, if everything goes perfect, it's about 10 days in the hospital, three of which, or maybe two of which, are in the intensive care unit. And then if there's no complications, and as I mentioned, the complication rate's about 40%, the patients are spending about a month, maybe even two, at home recovering if they have the infrastructure to help them recover at home. If not, then many of them need to go to a skilled nursing facility for that extra support. So, Dr. Baddock, I know one of your perhaps best described as a passion is the movement of your emerging science into clinical practice. This seems like a very good example of that. Is that a good presumption? John, yeah, thanks. I think you stated it perfectly. And it's not just my passion. I think that this concept of clinical translation of regenerative medicine technologies is what truly sets apart the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine from everybody else who attempts to do regenerative medicine because even though we are very interested in science for science sake, the more pressing need is to take basic science and turn it into clinical care. And one of the ways that we've learned to do that well is to combine, to make teams out of people like myself who spend all day in the laboratory and team with the clinical end. We know where the problems are, or we think we do, and what people like Dr. Job do is say, well, you're right, that's a problem, but here's a little twist on what we need. And so I think this partnership between the, the clinical care people like Dr. Job and the basic scientists that are part of the McGowan Institute is just the ideal way to clinically translate this sort of technology and to truly make a difference in the way medicine is practiced. Dr. Job, I presume from what you said a few moments ago, you would concur with this assessment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the culture which has been created at the McGowan is, is somewhat unique in that you know the coin of the realm within academic medicine is really publications, position of authorship on papers, as well as grant funding. And it tends to create more independent-related endeavors. But the culture that's been created through the leadership of Alan Russell at McGowan has really fostered a team approach to research, which with today's technology is absolutely essential to getting new therapies to patients. 
And, of course, the ultimate beneficiary are the patients, and the three examples you've cited so far are wonderful examples of uh, alternatives that weren't available just even a few months ago. So my thanks and congratulations to both of you in that regard. To our listeners who might be interested in a little bit more detail of Dr. Job's accomplishments, he was recently featured in a segment on 60 Minutes, and you can find a link to that particular video on the McGowan Institute website, and we will post that on the podcast website for anyone who needs that particular background information. Dr. Badalak and Dr. Job, I'd just like to say thanks for taking the time to share with our listeners your innovative science and clinical procedures. As we conclude this podcast, I'd like to remind our listeners we welcome suggestions. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And I'd like to say thank you to the McGowan Institute who sponsors this podcast series. Until we meet again in two weeks with another exciting interview, thank you and best wishes to all.